Well, good morning. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I'd love to meet you. I'll be in the lobby after the service. Um, before I start today, I just want to say how grateful I am uh, for how awesome of a team that we have here at Highlands. Um, the last couple of weeks, I've um, been out, and um, I'm just so grateful for Josh and for Zeb and um, just their... Uh, gift that they are to our church. And I hope that you know, and I think it's important for you to hear me say that um, it, the most valuable thing uh, that happens is the word being preached, not the person who's preaching it. Um, the value is in the word being preached. And I'm just grateful to have um, so many great people on our team. And then um, I was also, uh, we had our leadership team retreat um, as a church uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm just so grateful for that team of people, and um, so I'm just, I'm full of gratitude today as I uh, step in here, and um, thank you. Um, and the last thing that I meant to say, and this uh, it would have been better if I would have said this before the clapping, because now it'll be like, oh, we should clap again, um, but... Um, is uh, last week uh, we got to be part of um, uh, Evan's ordination into ministry at his home church in Spokane, and that was super cool to be a part of. So um, this is when I should have said the summary line. So I'm just grateful for our team and all that. So, um, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, one of my hopes uh, for me um, and for us as a church is that we would be people who make a difference in people's lives, that we would, that we would actually see people um, come to know Jesus and experience the life that really is found in Jesus. Um, I want to be a part of that. And one of, uh, one of my burdens and, um, and something that's been a burden to, to Courtney and I um, the last few years is just the number of friends that we have who uh, grew up in the faith or at one time or another would have uh, considered, considered themselves a Christian, but who have left the faith or would no longer identify as a Christian. And there's different words that, that uh, people use for that. Um, everybody, you know, um, has the right to kind of define their own journey for themselves. But one of the, the terms that people have embraced is um, deconstruction. Um, they um, have deconstructed their faith um, either because of the hurt that they've experienced through organized religion, or maybe they were exposed to ideas that they had been sheltered from as kids, or maybe just as they've wrestled with life and uh, the big questions of life, they've, um, they've wondered about the reliability of the answers that Christianity offers. And, and so for, for one reason or another, they've, they've left the faith. And that, that's just a burden to me. Um, and I want for people to have faith in Jesus, not because of like a judgmental thing, like, oh, well, they're, you know, everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus is terrible and they need Jesus. But, but as like a, I think it's from a place of like compassion, not judgment. It's like, I, I want for people to experience the love and the joy that, that is in Jesus and the truth that's in Jesus. I want for people to experience that. And, and whether they've deconstructed because they grew up in the faith and, and left, or, or maybe they 
have, have never been interested in Christianity. And their way of viewing the world is so different than mine. There's just a, a, a burden that I feel that, that I would be someone and that my family would be someone and that our church would be a place that actually is helpful to that end. And my guess is that if you're a Christian, if you'd consider yourself a Christian, that, that you share the same burden. You want for people to, to know him. You want for people to have faith in Jesus. But maybe like me, you've, you've been confused about how to actually go about doing that. Like, how do we actually help make a difference in people's lives? Like, by make a difference, I mean, how do we actually help people come to know Jesus so that they, they're compelled to know him? Like, anybody can stand up and make a point, you know, and bark about, you know, you, you need to believe in Jesus or whatever. Anybody can do that. But how do you actually make a difference? How do you actually persuade? How do you actually help people see that Jesus is not, bad news, but he actually brings good news. How do, how do we do that? My guess is, if you would consider yourself a Christian, you also want to be part of that, and maybe you've also felt confused. And the last several years, I've been just reading as much as I can from from deconstruction world just because I want to try to better understand what it is that, that people are experiencing. Why is it that we're, that we're here in this cultural moment? And I'm, what I've found is that what Jude says here is actually so helpful for us as we embark on this task. If we're going to be part of, of making a difference, if we're going to be part of, of helping people who don't believe in Jesus come to see how great he is, then I think that Jude and the passage that we're going to look at today is extremely, extremely helpful. And so if you have a Bible, um, Jude verses 17 through uh, 23 is where we'll be today. If you uh, need a Bible, there's um, one somewhere close to you in a seat, I hope, um, and it's on page 1088 in that particular Bible. Um, the book of Jude, we've looked at the last couple of weeks, and we saw the first week that, um, that followers of Jesus are called to contend for the faith, or that is to, to be able to share the faith and also be able to answer questions that people might have about it. All of us as followers of Jesus, if, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, are called to do that. And then last week we saw that we need to beware of deceivers and being deceived. That, um, that in the process of doing this, we could be deceived and actually lose the faith ourselves. So we need to be careful. Today, Jude is actually going to explain how to, be, to prepare ourselves to contend for the faith. Jude is going to give us um, some strategies for preparing to hopefully make a difference in people's lives, to help them come to see the love, the joy, the truthfulness that's in Jesus. So 
We're going to look at these verses today in three headings. Uh, here they are. First, something to know about the world. If we're going to, how do we prepare to contend for the faith? Jude gives us one. First, something to know about the world. Second, something to do for ourselves. And third, something to do for others. So something to know about the world, something to do for ourselves, and something to do for others. Let's take a look. First, he says, here's something to know about the world. If you are going to contend for the faith, make a difference for, in people's lives for the sake of Jesus. Here's something to know about the world. Following Jesus will be mocked in all generations. That's what you need to know. Following Jesus will be mocked in all generations. Look at verse 17. But you, dear friends, speaking to people who are living in the first century, but you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18. They told you, in the, in the end time, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the spirit. He says, here's what you need to know. Remember what the apostles predicted. And what did they predict? They said that in the end time, there will be scoffers. In the end time, there will be scoffers. What is the end time? The end time refers to what we call the church age. It's the age following Christ's resurrection and ascension. It's marked by the Holy Spirit's coming at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So that is the end times. And that means that the first century Christians were in the end times just like we are today. From God's vantage point, Christ's return was just as close then as it is today. So we're in the end time. So the warning applied to the first century Christians applies to us today. So he says, in the end time, that is in the church age, in the time we're in, there will be scoffers. What's a scoffer? Well, look at what he says about them in verse 18 and 19. He says, scoffers are people who are living according to their own ungodly desires. They're people who create divisions. They're worldly, he says in verse 19, and they're not having the spirit. They don't have the spirit. So, what makes them scoffers? A scoffer is someone who mocks, who makes fun of, who says, you're believing that? That's foolish. Don't do that. How do these qualities make them a mocker? Well, let's think about what these qualities mean, and then I think we'll see. First, living according to their own ungodly desires, that means they want to do their will more than they want to do God's will. Creating divisions means that they separate themselves from others because they're elevating themselves. The idea of division here is I'm making a distinction between me and the people who think like me and people who don't. And, and so they create divisions. They consider themselves more important than others. He says they're worldly. That is, they want the comforts of this world more than they want intimacy with God. They want the things of the earth more than they want the things of heaven. And he says they don't have the spirit. They're devoid of the spirit. That is, these are people who claim 
to be close to God by referencing either their dreams or their inner promptings or their spiritual intuition, but they don't actually live according to God's word. That's what it means to, to not have the spirit in this context. So how do those qualities make someone mock a Christian? How do those qualities lead people to mock Jesus and his message of the cross? And the answer is that Jesus and his way of the cross is contrary to every culture of all time. Here's what Jesus says about how one ought to live. Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, is with his closest followers. And his closest follower named Peter has just made this big statement. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And then Jesus said, I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I'm the chosen one. And here's what I'm going to do. I am going to be mocked and arrested and beaten and then I'm going to be crucified. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And Peter, who had just made the statement, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Christ. Peter mocks him. Why? Because it's in all of us to not want that. And then Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, listen, if you want to be my follower, that's where we're going. We're going to the cross. If you want to be my follower, then deny yourself. Take up your cross and come with me. And that is what led Jesus to be mocked. And that is what still causes mocking today. See, the, the way of Jesus says, I'm going to say no to my will and yes to God's will. The way of Jesus says, I am going to consider others as more important than myself. The way of Jesus says, I'm going to seek the glory of heaven rather than the glory of earth. The way of Jesus says, I'm going to live by faith in God's word. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit directs me, that the, the divine actually directs me in obedience to this word. Jesus goes to the cross and is mocked along the way because our world wants to live according to our own ungodly desires. We want to create divisions by thinking that we're better than others. We are worldly and want the things of this earth. And so Jesus was mocked as he went to a cross and he died. The way of Jesus is mocked. Jesus says, you want to have glory, it's through suffering. You want to have life, it's through death. It's through dying to yourself. That gets mocked. The ways of Jesus gets mocked. And 
his message for why he was doing that gets mocked. Why was Jesus taking up a cross and dying? Jesus believed it was in order to save the world from their sins. That all of us who were created by God have rebelled against God. We've gone our own way. We've thought, we know better than you. You say this, I think this is better. You say, this is how we're supposed to think about life. I say, that's stupid and this is better. All of us have done that and all of us deserve to be judged by God for that. And Jesus goes to the cross and dies so that we can be forgiven, so that God will not look at us and have wrath and terror towards us, but instead will look at us and embrace us and accept us. That's the message of the cross. Jesus dies willingly. He willingly offers himself in order to redeem, in order to save the unrighteous, he, the righteous one, dies so that he might bring us to God. And do you know how the world responds to that message? We're still preaching that. You still are going to go that route. You think that's the ultimate problem in the world is that we're not following God? Have, can't we advance beyond that? You think that a person is going to die and somehow satisfy the, you know, the judgment of the gods? You believe that there's going to be a resurrection? Like you believe Jesus actually died and was raised from the dead and that you will also be raised with him when he returns. That's what you believe. Let's give up the fire and brimstone thing of God's wrath and the evil God and oh my goodness and we need atonement from Jesus or something that he brings. Jude says, in the end time, they're gonna mock. They're gonna scoff. But here's what's so important to remember is that means when people mock today, it's not new. The reason that Jude is telling these dear friends, the reason that by implication he's telling us to remember what was predicted by the apostles, that in the end time scoffers will come, the reason is so that we would not be surprised when that happens. People don't embrace the way of the cross anymore. People don't embrace the message of Jesus anymore. They never did. The cross has always been foolishness to the world. They mocked Jesus, they scoffed at Jesus, and they scoff at his followers. That's what the world does. And so we should expect to be mocked if we choose to follow Jesus. We should expect that this would seem foolish to the world. Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because Jesus was persecuted and the world mocks. In the end time, scoffers will come. Here's why that's so important. Because we can tend to think that our day poses the most unique challenges that have ever been presented in the history of the world. As if somehow, oh, but, but oh man. I mean, but do you know what culture is saying, Nate? I mean, things are, I mean, people do not want to hear this message. And Judah's saying, remember what was predicted by the apostles. Our day is not new or unique. Our culture is not the first to be critical of following Jesus. The specific challenges we face may be unique, but the challenges themselves are not unique. And that means it is foolish to live with nostalgia over some other era that you wish you could still be in. Man, if we could go back to the 80s, I tell you, in the 80s, man, that's when, or in the 90s, it was so this, and everybody was more open to this, or this, or this, or it was better for this, or whatever. It's like, dude, in the end time, since the first century, the way of Jesus has been mocked. So, we can decide, are we gonna live with nostalgia over some other time period that has gone by or whether we're going to embrace God's calling today, now. God in his sovereignty and in his providence has placed you here today, not 40 years ago, not 70 years ago and not a decade ago. He's placed us here today. And so we could flee from this cultural moment and hope to create a little bunker for ourselves where we can remember the good times and build society the way that it was in the glory years. Or we can take up the calling to make a difference, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And there's also an offer of hope in this little phrase, in the end time. I've never thought about this, but I was thinking about this phrase all week, and then I realized, oh, it's the end time. The implication is, it's almost over. And so it will be super hard to embrace this calling and be one who's mocked. It will be like suffering to take up the cross. But there's hope in it. We're almost home. If you belong to Jesus, you're not a citizen of this earth. First and foremost, you're a citizen of heaven. And so we should seek the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth, Paul says. And so 
His coming is nearer now than when we first believed. So let's press on. Let's keep going. Don't drop a single anchor. We're almost home. Keep going. It's the end time, man. Jesus will return. Remember what was predicted by the apostles. So, um, first heading, something to know about the world. If you're going to contend for the faith, if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to help people embrace Jesus, here's something you got to know about the world. The world will mock Jesus and his followers because the cross is foolishness to the world. So don't be surprised when that happens. Second, something to do for yourself. Something to do for yourself. And here's what we are to do for ourselves. We are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Um, Look at verse 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. These two verses, um, the main uh, command, the main uh, part of the sentence is in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. And everything else is hanging on that. Everything else is supporting that. So, He tells us three things that it means to keep ourselves in the love of God. He says, um, you build yourself up in your most holy faith. He says, you're praying in the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what what does it mean to, to keep ourselves in the love of God? It means building, praying, and waiting. Building, praying, and waiting. Building ourselves up in the faith, praying in the Spirit, waiting, expectantly for mercy. So let's talk about what those mean. First, building ourselves up in our most holy faith. If we're going to be people who contend for the faith, then we have to be built up in the faith. Doesn't that make sense? That being built up in the faith means we've got to learn the faith. We've got to know the faith. And it means we've got to live it. That's what it means to to build ourselves up in it, to, to learn it and to live it. And Um, so to learn the faith means growing in our knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That's all we're talking about. The word that is often used for learning, um, the faith is the word theology, um, or doctrine. And this is a word that I, I think, um, is intimidating to people. And um, I, don't, I don't want that to be the case. The word theology just means thoughts about God or discourse about God or words about God. And so anytime you have a thought about God, you're doing theology. So theology is something that everybody is doing. Um, it doesn't need to be something that's intimidating. Theology is just when we're thinking and responding to what we believe about God. That's what theology is. And the question is, do we have good theology? Are we thinking good thoughts about God? And by good, I mean true. Is the stuff that we're thinking about God true? Is it right? Um, 
And so theology can feel like this really abstract and, and distant and like theoretical, philosophical. It's for like ultra, you know, uber, you know, Christian people or something. But, but it's not. Um, and one way that's been helpful for me in, in thinking about this um, in my own life is something that uh, Dr. Kevin Van Hooser says in a book um, where he says that theology or doctrine is primarily important because it helps us answer Jesus's question, who do you say that I am? So Jesus, uh, in Mark chapter eight, like we were just talking about, he turns to Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, theology is just helping us answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? What do you believe about Jesus? And what he does in this little section of his book is show how all of these theological categories that we would typically think of actually hang on that question. So when we ask the question, who is Jesus? We inevitably have to talk about the doctrine of God and the Trinity and the doctrine of humanity. Just by talking about Jesus, we have to talk about those things. When we ask the question, why did Jesus have to suffer? He said he was going to the cross. Why did he have to suffer? We inevitably will talk about the doctrine of sin. When we ask, how do we benefit from his suffering? How do we benefit from Jesus going to the cross? We'll inevitably talk about the doctrine of salvation. When we ask the question, well, how do we relate to Jesus? If we can't see him now, and we're supposed to follow him, how do we relate to him? We'll inevitably talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about how the Holy Spirit is actually leading us, we'll inevitably ask the question, how do we gather together as a community who's trying to follow Jesus? And then we'll inevitably talk about the doctrine of the church. And then when we're talking about Jesus and how he'll return, we'll inevitably ask, well, what's gonna happen when he returns? And then we'll inevitably talk about what's called eschatology or the last things. And this was super eye-opening to me because it helped me see that theology, even going deep in thinking about what, we're, what we believe about God, theology is ultimately still a matter of discipleship. It's not about, you know, papers and books and lectures and other academic things. It's about following Jesus. It's about learning who Jesus is and it's about building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Theology is really just about following Jesus. All of these theological categories hang on that question, who is Jesus? And so I think it's important for us as a church, and we're gonna talk more about this in, the, in uh, 2023 because uh, one of the things we did on our leadership team retreat is uh, think about where are we going in the next three to five years and how are we gonna get there? And one of the places that we're going is, is I want to equip our church to think deeply about the things of God. That is important. And here's why, one of the reasons, is because I just wonder if one of the reasons that deconstruction is so common is we've not actually encouraged nor created space for people to think deeply about their faith. We, 
have students who are taking these super intense classes and they've got five AP classes and they're learning so much and they're thinking and studying and doing all of this stuff. And then as soon as we, they, we come to church, we're like, oh, well, we can't go to, we gotta you know, make sure that we entertain them and play some games and do some fun stuff. And this is not anti-games and fun stuff. I was a youth pastor, I love that stuff. Some of my favorite part of being a youth pastor is planning that stuff. But it's like, we're not taking kids and students seriously. They're learning super deep stuff over here. And then we're like, ah, but at church, we don't have time for that. And as parents, we're like, well, but AP classes are what really matters because their future is ultimately dependent on where they go to college and yada, yada. And it's like, no, those are worldly things. Care about the things of heaven, dude. And so we've got we've to convince ourselves to, that, that we got to think deeply. But it's not just about students, it's about adults. We've got men and women in our church who go to work and do ridiculously intense contemplation on things. And I'm not talking about just like behind the desk jobs. I'm talking about real people use their minds all the time and do like real decision-making. And then we get to church and we're like, we got to make sure everybody feels entertained and we got to keep it short. And we got to make sure that it's all this and uh, uh, don't, you know, make them think too hard because that's putting stuff way up here and we're going to put it on the bottom shelf. And all of that stuff is important. Good teaching brings stuff from down here so that it's accessible. I'm not, you know, we're not going to get lost in some kind of weird philosophical lecture circuit in the future. But what I am saying is that we need to expect that it's normal to think deeply about the things of God. Why would we, we think deeply in all these other areas and then it comes to the church and we're like, well, let's make it super simple and accessible so as many people can come as possible and then we'll get them out of here on time and we'll make sure that they go back to their work. And then we're surprised that people are deconstructing their faith or that they don't have answers to culture's questions. It's like, dude, we're not equipping them to do that based on how we're structuring literally everything. So that's my soapbox for the day. <laughs> but... <clears throat> So let me try to give some basic get started practices that you could try to help build yourself up in the faith and grow think, thinking deeply about the things of the faith. First of all, start small. So if, 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 you have, if you don't have a regular time where you read the Bible each day, start and start small. Don't decide, don't listen to this message and be like, okay, this week, every single day this week, I'm gonna get up at 6 a.m. and I'm gonna read my Bible. You will not do that. And that's not because you're a bad person. It's just, that's not how habits work, okay? So, so don't try to do that. Start small. And here's what you could do is pick one day this week where you're gonna read the Bible for one minute. Do you think you could do that? You're like, I don't have time for deep Bible study, Nate one day for one minute this week, and you're going to pick what you're going to read ahead of time. And I'm just going to help you. You're going to start with the gospel of Luke. The gospel of Luke says in the beginning that these things are written so that you'll know the certainty about which we've been instructed. And so that's where you're going to start. So I helped you. Okay. I made one of the decision paralysis easier for you. You're going to start with Luke and you're just going to go there and you're going to read for one minute, one day this week. And then you're going to ask two questions. The questions are, what does this call me to believe about God and what kind of life does it call me to live? So as you're reading, what does this call me to believe about God? What is this telling me to believe about God? And what is it telling me about how I should live? And if you will spend your day thinking about those two questions in light of whatever you read, even if it was just for one minute, you will start building yourself up in the faith. 
That's how God's word works. Why those two questions? Because the, the scriptures principally teach what we're to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And so just ask those two questions. Um, then another thing you could do as you start that little practice is you could remind yourself, um, find ways to remind yourself of those two questions throughout your day. The other thing you could do is start discussing those two questions with someone. That could be your roommate or your spouse or a small group that you're in or whatever. You can be creative, but just start discussing those two questions. It can feel like this really ambivalent, like we're gonna start talking about spiritual things in our home. What the heck does that mean? So start with just reading a verse and then asking two questions and see what happens. Um, the other thing that um, we're gonna start trying in, uh, in my small group, um, nobody's really excited about it, but, um, <laughs> but we're gonna try it and we might tweak as we go, but um, is what we're calling gospel drills. Um, and the idea here is we're just gonna practice sharing the gospel as a group. So if, if we're gonna share our faith about Jesus to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, but we can't even share our faith with everybody who's like super encouraging us as we go and like helping us try to learn how to share our faith. Why would, why would we go do the way harder thing if we can't even do this easier thing? Um, and so we're gonna start practicing, um, just going around and having somebody, hey, explain the gospel to us. And we're not gonna be like mock trial, like pretending to debate them. We're not doing that. We're just encouraging them um, in that. Um, that's something that you could practice as well on your way home or with your family. Um, just practice sharing the gospel with each other. My hope for our church is that someday, if somebody is in our church service, and I hope we have people who don't believe in our church service, I hope that's a normal thing. And I hope that if they had questions about what does it mean to be a Christian or how would I go about getting my questions answered about, about following Jesus, I hope that our answer to them would not be, well, let me introduce you to the pastor. My, my hope would be that I could say to them, if they have questions, you should just ask the person next to you. And that we would feel confident that, you know what, that's a person who's gonna be able to explain what it means to follow Jesus. That doesn't mean that I don't have a job to do or that I can't help or yada, yada, or that any of our pastors or elders don't. But, but my hope, that's one of the reasons we take membership seriously, and that's one of our goals for 2023 as well. The reason that we want to take that seriously is because we want to help the people who belong to our church be able to do basic stuff that it means to be a Christian. And sharing your faith is a basic thing that it means to be a Christian. That doesn't mean that any of us uh, are that, or that all of us are super equipped for it right now, including myself. This is something that we can grow in. Okay, so that's the first uh, thing. If we're gonna keep ourselves in the love of God so that we can uh, contend for the faith, we have to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Here's the second, is praying in the spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a way that God accomplishes his work in the world. So what should you pray about? I would encourage you to start by just praying scripture. Just praying scripture. What does God command for us to do? Ask God to help you do it. That's a great prayer. 
And what does God promise to you in his word? Ask God to do it and to help you trust it. Just start there. So literally in this text, we could just pray, God, help us remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us remember, God, that it is not, it is not abnormal when people mock the cross. God, help us remember that. God, help us, help us to be built up in the most holy faith. That's, a, that's an easy prayer, right? And it was just, it's right there. So just pray scripture. And you could do this um, with, you know, pick your favorite verse. Proverbs 3, 5. It's one of my favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You can pray that prayer. God, help me trust you today with all my heart. God, in all my ways, I want to acknowledge you. In all my ways. God, in my financial ways. As I go to purchase things today, did you know that every time you buy something, you're making a financial decision? God, as I consider purchasing this today, God, would, I want to consider you. I want to acknowledge you in all my ways. God, as I go to make this professional decision, I want to acknowledge you in all my ways. Would you help me to trust you? It's a simple way to pray. It's just to pray scripture. And by praying scripture, over time, it helps us actually pray in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit, because the scripture is the sword of the spirit. Okay. Um, And then the third thing he says about keeping ourselves in the love of God, he says, it, it looks like waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Following Jesus is hard. It's a hard thing to do in part because it's mocked, but also in part because we're flesh. But the spirit is willing. Jesus will give us mercy to help us in our time of need. He promises to do so. Listen to Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne throne of grace, referring to among many things, prayer. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. If you need help following Jesus, you're not alone. Ask him for help and wait expectantly for him to give you mercy to follow. The problem with this one is you know what I hate more than almost anything? Is waiting. And I'm sorry for saying hate. Uh, My wife's family especially doesn't like that word. So they hate that word, I should say. Um, but, um, But the thing that I dislike more than almost anything in the world is waiting. Because I'm in a hurry and we're in a hurry. And if God's going to work in our lives and if God's going to do this thing, then let's go. We scheduled it for 7.30 a.m. Monday morning. Let's do it. And by eight o'clock, I expect to be built up in the faith and filled with all kinds of hope. And then I can go and do the rest of my life. 
But God, I need you to show up and do this thing. And that is not how God works. That's not the way of the cross. That's the way of the world. And so one of the things that it means to keep ourselves in the love of God is to remember that we're going to have to wait for his mercy. Spiritual growth is like fruit. Fruit takes years to grow. Depth takes patience and perseverance, which takes space for waiting. And now finally, so he's given us something to know about the world, something to do for ourselves, and now finally he ends with something to do for others. Verse 22. He says, have mercy on those who waver or have mercy on those who doubt. 23, save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. He says, here's what to do for others. Have mercy, save others, have mercy. Have mercy, save others, have mercy, but with fear. What does that mean? The word waver means somebody who's doubting, somebody who's questioning. He says, whenever you encounter someone who's questioning the faith, you should have compassion. The compassion is for two reasons, I think. First, what did Jesus do for those who were wavering? What did Jesus do for those who were mocking? He had compassion on them. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have mercy. We're going to have compassion for people who are wavering. That's the first thing. But the second is, it's the scoffers who create divisions. Well, we never doubt these doubters. That's not, what a scoff, that's not what a follower of Jesus does. A follower of Jesus says, dude, it's only by the grace of God that, that I have faith right now too. And so a follower of Jesus has mercy on those who are doubting, who are wavering because I'm prone to wander myself. So why would I have judgment towards you? I need to have mercy and compassion towards you. He also says, save others by snatching them from the fire. The, the save others, um, the idea here, I think, and then the third one is have mercy, but with fear. The idea here is each person that you interact with is different. And that means that your approach with each person may also need to be different. And so... I think that these three commands together, what they are getting at is this, that something we need to do for others is use discernment. We need to walk wisely. We need to pray like the apostle Paul prays in, in Philippians 1, that our love would grow in knowledge and all discernment. We need to love people and we need to grow in our, our knowledge and our discernment so that we can know how to best respond to people. And so, in this text, Jude has given us something to know about the world if we're going to contend for the faith. Followers of Jesus will be mocked. He tells us something to do for ourselves, that is, we've got to keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the faith by praying in the Holy Spirit and by waiting expectantly for his mercy. 
and something to do for others. We've got to walk wisely. We've got to use discernment and have mercy and compassion for others. My hope is by doing these things that we would be the kind of church that would make a difference. That people who have deconstructed would come back to faith because of the witness that they experience here, the love that there is in this place, the mercy that there is for people who are wavering. My hope is that people would come back because of the clarity with which we're able to communicate the truths of scripture. My hope is that people in the Northwest who think differently and believe differently about us would come to share our faith in Jesus because of what they experience from our witness. That's my hope for us. I hope we can be that kind of church. Let me pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Father, we do praise you for sending your son. God, we want to get our eyes on him. Help us to do that. Help us to look to Jesus, the one who was mocked. And in looking to him, help us find the courage that we need to endure. God, help us to keep ourselves in the love of God by looking to Jesus. Build us up in him, grow us in him. And God, help us to have mercy and wisdom as we interact with others, as we, as we look to Jesus, the one who has mercy and compassion to save. It's in Jesus' name that we offer this prayer to you. Amen.